0: By now on this episode page, you've most likely seen the haunting image of 84 male figures on the edge of a rooftop on a London office tower. Even though the annual number of male suicides in the UK is far larger, it was recognized that our brains cannot process large numbers and do a far better job when smaller numbers are placed in a memorable context. Project 84 only happened, and this is one of the wild things about this case. It only happened because a first attempt at an ad campaign failed. Uh, and that sort of bubbled up to the surface, the, the kind of true insight of this entire initiative is that many times a picture is worth a thousand ads. The first campaign didn't work. And it was recognized that because this organization, Calm, did not have a a very deep pockets for marketing, that there was no point in uh, going down that direction of trying to create a a, 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 quote-unquote advertising campaign. It was recognized through some brilliant observations by folks on this team that images, powerful, polarizing images, can connect with culture and with people in ways that campaigns never can. And so the opportunity was in discovering a way to demonstrate the problem that this organization helped address and to do it in a profoundly original and almost haunting manner, which is what really happened here. Another thing to note in this case is that it's also a great discussion around comm strategy. Um, what you're going to hear from Will is really talking about how they dimensionalized this whole effort, and this initiative. It wasn't just there; were, there was many parts that unfolded, and Yula, I'll let him tell that story as we go through here. But one of the more profound campaigns of the last few years it is Project 84, and Will Grundy, planning director at Adam and Eve DDB London, will talk us through it. Passersby in central London on Monday got a strange sight. 84 men
1: standing on the rooftops of offices. Project 84, a campaign to raise awareness of male suicide.
0: As it turns out, the men were statues, all part of a demonstration for
1: suicide awareness. It's incredibly powerful. Stopped me dead in my tracks. Such a statement, and everybody's talking about male suicide now. Project 84 campaign highlights the horrifying figure that male suicide is the biggest killer of men under 45. There is no question Project 84 um, has stolen the show and the week.
0: I mean, I've never seen anything like for all the years we've been here at the Tower. To see those statues uh, on top of the building, everybody stopping and just looking up and taking a moment.
1: I'm very pleased that my Honourable Friend, the Member Thurrock, is taking on the responsibility as the Minister for Suicide Prevention, the first time a government has had a minister appointed to such a post.
0: So, welcome, Will Grundy. Good to have you uh, on the talk about Calm.
1: It's great to be here. Thank you.
0: So, let's, uh, let's start off by just having you explain what Calm is and how, uh, how you personally or Adam and Eve uh, connected with them originally.
1: Sure so CALM is actually an abbreviation it stands for the Campaign Against Living Miserably Uh, and they are a charity they're a suicide prevention charity in the UK Um, so at the heart of everything they do is a helpline that is open 365 days a year from five till midnight every single night Um, that is there for anyone and everyone who is uh, feeling low uh, or feeling suicidal. So it is a charity that is there to save the lives of both men and women. Um, we we kind of, it's a, it's a funny one. We actually, we came into contact with Calm pretty fortuitously. Uh, I was working on another client at the time who were really interested in developing a, a kind of a charity partnership as part of their kind of CSR program or kind of their you know kind of the, using the buzzwords of the day their kind of evolution to becoming a more purposeful brand uh, and we had an introductory meeting with Calm as a result and nothing came of it between the uh, the client and Calm themselves but we were just um we were blown away by Simon, their CEO and his kind of just the way he spoke about Calm, their mission and the problems they're trying to solve in the UK. And so we stayed in contact and we said, look, um, if ever there's anything we can do to help, we as an agency would absolutely love to to talk more. And so we kept talking um, and about two weeks later, Simon dropped us a note and said look um we need we need to talk about suicide not just um with you guys but we as a country need to start talking about suicide far more so than we ever have done before do you want to help us do it um and that's kind of where it started and it's kind of just all gone from there so tell us
0: tell us about the, the sort of the uh the scale of the problem in the UK
1: so male suicide is the single biggest killer of men under 45 in the united kingdom it claimed more lives than cancer it claims more lives than car accidents it claims more lives than anything um and yet at the same time no one talks about it in the uk suicide and especially male suicide is an almost complete taboo or at least it has been up until very very recently so it's this incredibly damaging silent killer that as soon as you begin to scratch between the beneath the surface a little bit, you soon come to realise that actually if you don't know someone or if you aren't someone who has been directly affected by suicide, you probably know someone who is. And it's a lot closer to home than we like to admit, especially being kind of quite... Emotionally repressed Brits. Um, so it's a huge issue, and it's doubly huge because no one talks about it. So, so what that means is twofold, right? Um, we aren't talking about it enough at a cultural and societal and just individual level. That means people don't know where to go, never mind how to talk about it. Um, but it also Third, it, all it does is it just stigmatizes the feelings and the behaviors that actually lead to men taking their lives in this country.
0: Is it a uniquely uh, male issue in the UK?
1: That, that's a really good question. So it's not, we always have to be really careful about kind of uh, the, the kind of gender terms that we assign to it. Um, because, you know, obviously these things are significantly more fluid Uh, than can sometimes be described but three in every four suicides in the UK are from men taking their lives so it is it I mean it is a cultural problem but it is absolutely a gendered problem at the same time and it always has been
0: so it's in in that way it's almost it's not it's not uh, dissimilar to issues of the systemic issues of racism in society, or sexism in society, or, or uh, human rights, social justice—that there, there needs yeah. to be a light pointed at it, and it, it it then becomes it sort of diffuses the tension that exists because it becomes a commonly talked about topic.
1: Yes, it, exactly. I, I think, and I think it, there was kind of there's a bit there's a bit of a nuance in it, which is that it wasn't just a case of shining a light on male suicide it was a way what we needed to do was shine a light on the extent of male suicide because people knew conceptually that it was happening but they weren't prepared to acknowledge with the reality of that and so what we needed to do was make them see that not only was this an issue that was happening in the world you know probably just behind their back doors but that it was far more commonplace and therefore far more unacceptable than people previously
0: thought that's a great distinction to make i'm glad you made i'm glad you made it tell us tell us about how you sort of uh, delved into the subject matter as a planner was there some was there some existing work from the client did you guys do anything primary yourselves
1: how we kind of went about understanding the problem was and it's almost criminal to admit this on a, um, on a strategy podcast, but actually the, the reason, the way we got to Project 84 was by actually messing up first time around. So what very few people will remember or even have seen was a campaign that we created about uh, five months before Project 84, which was a, a press campaign that went live on World Suicide Prevention Day, which is always in the middle of September. And we published three real suicide notes of calm supporters who had been on the brink of taking their lives but had found hope at the final second. And they shared their notes with us and we republished them in these beautiful, heartbreaking uh, press images that ran in every single broadsheet uh, and every single basically every single Sunday publication uh, we could get our hands on and what we found was that it was, br- it was brilliant advertising and something that we as an agency were both incredibly proud of but also genuinely hoped would make a difference but there was absolutely no reaction to them and there was there were a few kind of more visits to the website but The debate that we needed to provoke and incite in culture just didn't happen. What we realized very quickly was that if we wanted, we couldn't just talk about suicide. We had to get people to talk about suicide via a creative idea. And so I think it, it forced us to say, look, we need to act far more like a PR agency than an advertising agency. And instead of being the piece of content that appears on the margin of a newspaper we need to become the headline and so what we went about doing from a planning perspective is saying okay like let's let's be honest with ourselves unless you're you know i don't know john lewis at christmas very few bits of advertising genuinely permeate culture and genuinely create water cooler conversation but what we found was that in the place of advertising actually images and starkly brutal pictures that captured suffering or tragedy or outrage time and time again were the keys to creating conversation so we started looking lesser ads that we thought were really good and pictures uh, that were really good in their place and we we kind of there were two examples that stuck out to us but also really kind of made us sit up and take notice and the first one there's a there's an incredibly moving image um, of a Sudanese child on the way to a refugee camp in Sudan and he's on his way to this refugee camp to get food and he's being eyed by a vulture and uh, Kevin Carter who's the photographer won the Pulitzer Prize for it but it also it captured international media attention it galvanized a huge amount of support behind aid agencies in Sudan and it it forced people to realize that the kind of the famine that was taking place in Sudanese Africa wasn't a thing of the past it was very much still a thing of the present so we had that and we also had if you remember um During the kind of Syrian refugee crisis, there was that terribly shocking image of that poor baby um, that had died on the beach at Bodrum in Turkey.
0: Yeah, he was drowned. He was face down on the beach. He drowned. yeah, Yeah, shocking image.
1: Yeah, absolutely horrific. But again, what it did was it not only did it force everyone to acknowledge and engage with. A human tragedy that was, yeah, it was happening somewhere else, but we were all still kind of complicit in it, and we were all definitely ignoring it. But what it also did was it made a a human tragedy of immense and kind of understandable, ununderstandable proportions, much easier to engage with, much easier to understand. And that those for us were kind of key. So we had to kind of, we had to find an image that would compel you to look at it almost horrify you in the way that you consumed it so as to provoke and incite debate but it also had to find a way to capture the extent of male suicide in a way that was both shocking in its extent but also incredibly understandable in its execution
0: so let's let's step back a little bit and go back to notes for a second because I want to I want to yeah. make sure we draw this distinction because this is sort of the key insight for me throughout this whole case is the idea that uh, of sort of the power of an image being so critical to yeah. incite outrage and it's it's not it's not it's the sort of the recognition from the first attempt which was notes suicide notes mm. that the the that uh, an image is more powerful than the concept of an ad And that that the ad in its form, even though it was a powerful in its subject matter, it didn't have the, it couldn't break through in culture. It wasn't powerful enough to break through in culture. So I guess what you guys, and I'd love you to take us inside this conversation or the activities. So the, the first, the first question I have is what, what did not work about notes? What was it about notes that did not work?
1: i think it's um uh, so to your to your point around it not breaking through in culture um it wasn't even placed in culture in its execution you know it was an ad it sat yeah. in the bottom right of the it was, and it was a the print times ad. on sunday yeah it was it a was print ad, ad. Yeah. yeah yeah so you know it like it's still on the on the surface of it um it still had a good deal of reach um You know, from a media placement, it was smart because people spend more time with Sunday papers and are therefore more likely to engage. But, you know, kind of the vast majority of advertising, whether we like to tell ourselves differently or otherwise, isn't cultural in its value and in the way that it's executed. Um, We wanted an image that didn't just kind of incite culture, but existed and came to life In culture as part of the idea.
0: But how did you, but Um, how did you, um, how did you, how did you come to the conclusion that you had an image problem, a, a photographic image problem?
1: So, so we kind of, we said, look, clearly advertising, advertising doesn't feel like the answer. Also the reality of advertising for Calm, like Calm's total revenue in 2017 was about a third of the marketing budgets of most kind of big UK brands right so the the normal tools that you use to create conversation create word of mouth create all of that kind of stuff that advertising can create are just completely off the table and so it forced us to think very very differently about the way in which we could create those same results but without the tools so we started saying okay If you can't advertise, if you can't make an incredibly emotional TV ad, and if we kind of know that, you know, kind of brilliant press and poster advertising, as much as we loved it, isn't the answer, what are the types of tactics and what are the types of things in culture that have kind of demanded conversation, have demanded attention, and galvanized people around them to call for change? And that's where we started looking at images, because images throughout history have been, you know, kind of ways of telling stories and conveying outrage, tragedy, suffering in a far more powerful, far more visceral way than messaging tends to be.
0: Where did the sort of search for your image, where did it come from? Were there a number of things under under consideration before the actual image was decided upon? (laughs)
1: yes yeah that that so that in itself is a really interesting kind of strategic and creative kind of double act that we went on because if, if i talk to you about the the statistics around male suicide in the uk for a second they are i mean they are absolutely horrifying so just over four and a half thousand men every year take their lives right if you uh, if someone that you know is a victim of male suicide, that makes you roughly 16 times more likely to take your life too. Every single suicide costs the UK economy approximately 1.25 million. Uh, like the, the statistics around how shocking this is as an issue are harrowing and outrageous, but they're also impossible to understand at that level. Yeah it's but very I,
0: similar it's very similar to the idea that and and just to talk about it in the context of other other areas i mean when we when we use the word billions and millions and trillions we use these things with no absolute sense of what they exactly. in real terms or what they what impact they have so th- we're not able to process it right we're not able to dimension exactly it.
1: exactly so our our brains process big numbers approximately whereas they process small numbers very directly and very accurately. So the thing that we found really interesting was that that kind of four and a half thousand men every single year is horrifying, but it's only horrifying and understandable when we chunk it down to 84 men a week. And we thought there was something really powerful in 84 because it is just small enough for you to understand directly but it's also big enough for you to think, oh my God, this is absolutely terrible. You know, kind of most classrooms are 20 or so. That's four of my kids' classes wiped out every single week. You know, maybe that's, you know, my office times two or times three. It it was this kind of, it was this horrifying kind of holy shit Goldilocks number that just kind of made sense and made us feel like, you know, this is something that, will be sticky and we can talk about and that we can visualize in a way that will be understandable and talked about.
0: Was it, was it a number will that made sense in the, in the, uh, in the context of the concept that we're going to talk about the image or was it, was it the other way around? Where... No. So
1: we, we've, we very much defined the number before we define the image. Okay. So at the, um, it's interesting, you know, kind of at the, at the heart of the, creative brief that we gave to Anton Mike the proposition was find a way to visualize the idea that 84 men a week dying by their own hands is fucking unacceptable
0: and so they they go they go ahead with that brief yeah they were there things that they came back to you with that you can talk about and then we'll then we'll start talking about the actual image
1: the thing that became very very obvious you have to be you have to be so careful when you're visualizing suicide rates. Um, And there's very good reason for that. The, The reason why charities have shied away from talking about suicide is because of the risk of copycatting, right? You know, kind of, if you see something that looks like suicide, heaven forbid, if you are feeling vulnerable, if you are feeling suicidal yourself, that can be very, very dangerous in triggering you to actually go on and take your life.
0: Interesting. And obviously
1: that is the last thing that we would ever want to do. So the the visualization had to capture suicide without capturing suicide as successful. Do you know what I mean? So yes. what, when we started seeing executions, what we weren't looking for, and it sounds crass talking about it, But what we weren't looking for was, you know, 84 bodies floating in the Thames, for example, because yes, that would have visualized it, but it also would have sent entirely the wrong message out in the way that it was being executed. Project 84 works a little bit differently because it shows 84 men standing on a building, very much still alive, but yet to jump. So it, as you, as you say, Fergus, it works in a slightly different way because there, I guess there's far more sense of jeopardy when you see that image and when people experienced it for themselves on the ITV tower, because it felt like it was something that needed stopping, both by actually acting, but also just by taking a photo, sharing it, having a discussion about it.
0: So it's, it's, an, it's an example of sort of the, the most dramatic and most terrifying scenario that's used in movies and yeah. TV shows, to kind of um, uh, represent this this implicit act, right? And I mean, it's yes. an absolutely yeah. haunting, haunting image. I've seen yeah. it. I've seen it a hundred times, but every time I open open up a file or see see that mm. image again, it is just, it is equally as powerful as the Sudanese. Uh, yeah, in a different way, of course, but it it is yeah. equally as powerful. I mean, just amazing to think about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel exactly the same. I remember, I remember standing underneath it on the the day that we went live with it, and honestly, just thinking about it now makes it, it gives me shivers every time I see it. You're right because it's it's no less. I get. I guess this is what we're aiming for, right? It's it's the power of an image, um, and that power is both immediate and it's also enduring. So even though Project 84 is the best part of two years ago now i still see that tower with those statues sitting on top of it and i feel profoundly offended by male suicide and i feel like i want to do something about it um and as i say i think you're right in that kind of it is a it's a motif or or an image that in some ways we've already seen in culture haven't we like we've seen in movies we've seen people standing on the top of a building and we've kind of, we've all kind of been there vicariously or not. Yeah. So then to see 84 men, you know, kind of very, very hauntingly standing on the top of an incredibly high, incredibly kind of foreboding looking building, I think it's just, you know, it, it took the execution to a level that made it truly transformative and, and kind of cultural in, it, in its exposition.
0: So you, you, um, you guys place these statues, which when I first saw yes. the image, I thought they were real men Yeah. because they're dressed in hoodies. You, yeah. You, they're, 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 they're the shape of real, but bo- they're not mannequins. I mean, these are, these are, no. these are duplicates of real men's bodies and it yes. looks like it's men standing around. So how did you, yeah. how did you get to the idea of them being statues was, uh, yeah, and what's the story behind each of the statues? Yeah
1: so, so the idea was the idea was always to make eighty four statues um as our way of visualizing it, but we wanted i think kind of we were very, very sh- clear in our minds that what we needed to, if if the entire objective of project eighty four was to incite conversation, every element of the idea had to be built and produced in a way that would add to that conversation, right so we could very easily have just put mannequins up on top of the building and put some hoodies on them. But instead what we did was we made it hard for ourselves and we worked with a an American street artist called Mark Jenkins, who has himself had mental health issues. And instead of just making 84 statues, what we did was we created a series of workshops where Families of um, you know who who had had brothers, fathers, sons, husbands take their lives. They came down and they made the statues themselves with Mark leading them. So actually, um, what a lot of people don't know about the statues is that they're just made of uh loads and loads and loads of celite. But the the clothing that they're wearing is actually in many cases the clothing of real people who've taken their lives. Um, So it became an incredibly cathartic exercise um, for real victims of suicide. But it also then meant that there were lots of stories that we could pass on through calm social media channels, through our collaboration with ITV, which I'm sure we'll talk about, and also in the press more broadly, so that we could kind of amplify the story but also make it feel very very real very intimate and very human at the same time
0: so to the to to the ITV collaboration this tower is the is the ITV tower yes uh, where the where the um, where the forms are, where these these figures are placed on top of and yeah. that tower to me at least it looks like it's maybe 20 stories or roughly something yeah. like that so it's it's equal. it's enormously powerful when you're standing on yes. the ground looking up at it And uh, it was across two buildings, not just one building.
1: Yes. Yeah, it was. So it's the 84 were above... So 12 of the statues were at slightly closer to ground level on top of the This Morning studio. So for um, your listeners who aren't kind of absolute ITV junkies in the UK, This Morning is a flagship breakfast show hosted every single day by... Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby, who are proper national treasures. Um, and they, we pitched the idea to them uh, because we wanted, one, we wanted to create proper reach and conversation for the idea. Uh, and also because frankly, we wanted an incredibly scary foreboding building as well to to put the statues on top of. Uh, so, so yeah, kind of the vast majority of them are Incredibly high up in the sky, and they they properly pierce the skyline. If you kind of if you're walking around London, or the middle of it, the ITV Tower is just in a totally different way to something like the Shard or whatever. It is just completely imperious, and you see it for miles. And so when the statues went up on top of it, even if you were nowhere near the South Bank, which is where the tower's located, you couldn't help but see them. So people would come out of Waterloo, for example, which is the UK's busiest train station, and they would happen upon these statues from afar, all of which kind of created intrigue and conversation that kind of added to the idea.
0: The reveal happens. Tell us about what the reveal uh, creates, and then ultimately... Um, how it uh, makes a profound change within government and government
1: policy? Sure. So, the we revealed the statues on Monday morning. We didn't do any PR or preceding or anything like that. So, no one knew it was coming. And then at nine o'clock on Monday morning, these statues appeared. And at exactly the same time, this morning started. So, up and down the country, people were seeing on their television, Phil and Holly standing underneath the statues, talking about the fact that they were doing a very, very special episode of this morning to capture Project 84. So there was a week of programming on ITV and it explored all sorts of kind of human interest stories related to Project 84. So they had Simon, the CEO of Calm on the sofa, talking about CALM's work, talking about CALM's helpline, talking about all the things that you can do to help. Um, we had families on the sofa sharing their stories of loss and of suicide. We had people like Johnny Wilkinson, the Rugby World Cup winning fly half, talking about his struggles with mental health. So we had this whole kind of drumbeat of content normalising and destigmatizing male suicide underneath the kind of the shocking image that was project 84 but what we also had at exactly the same time was a strand of comms that we deliberately created so that people who felt like they wanted to be able to help really really could because you can't you can't punch someone in the face as much as project 84 did and not kind of apply a bit of ice after it um so that's a that's a nice
0: way to put it will yeah (laughs)
1: um well i mean it it really actually it funnily enough it really helped the way that we thought about the comms planning around it right so in tandem at the same time as project 84 going live we also partnered with one of calm's supporters to launch an unbranded petition on change.org which was there to petition uh well, it was to get people to petition for government to make suicide prevention a matter of ministerial responsibility. So up until that point, suicide prevention wasn't explicitly called out as something that a health minister was expressly uh, tasked with with solving. So we created this incredibly powerful image that permeated culture and then got people talking We had lots of people talking about suicide on the sofa, but then we also had this petition that got people talking about the way in which we could change government and policy towards social prevention for the better. And that kind of triumvirate, if you like, kind of combined to create a huge amount of kind of conversation and social sharing on Instagram especially, but also ultimately it led to Jeremy Corbyn uh, debating and bringing up Project 84 in Prime Minister's questions that week. Um, And then later in September of that year, Calm were invited down to 10 Downing Street um, to talk about and then officially recognize the creation of a suicide prevention minister.
0: And this all happened uh, organically as a result of this petition? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes, so there was no um we didn't put any paid media behind the campaign at all, so everything was totally earned um, and it was only through conversation and word of mouth that any of it got out.
0: So let's talk about some of the some of the results that are related to the pre- uh, preventing potential suicides and what what sure. happened in in uh, in terms of uh, results and impact
1: Sure. So um, let, let's kind of t- let's take them in turn. So the, the first thing obviously kind of the first thing we wanted to do was get people talking about suicide on a kind of a cultural level. So what we saw in the first instance was that more people in the UK talked about male suicide than they ever had done before. Um, if you look at Google trends historically, and you look at searches for male suicide, Project 84 was a proper kind of watershed moment for for conversation and searches reached a historic high. Uh, We had 36,000 people mentioning Project 84 in four days on Twitter. We had just under 4,000 people sharing images of the statues on Instagram, but those people included people like Professor Green, uh, like Gizzi skin, you know, kind of celebrities with big followings, as well as just normal people who had encountered the the project for themselves. And the story was carried by national and international news outlets as well. So I think it generated more than I think just under thirty pieces of coverage uh, on the day that it was launched. And I think that equates to an earned media reach of about two point eight billion impressions. So we got people talking about male suicide for the first time. Um, But then we also got men talking to CALM and reaching out to get the help that they needed. Um, So if you look at CALM's helpline data, which is very, very easy to measure, we saw that calls for March increased by 41% year on year. And if you think we only went live on the 26th, it gives you a a sense of the immediate outcome. The immediate impact that we created. Um, I think more reassuringly quarterly calls in the three months that followed Project 84 increased by 62% year-on-year and at the same time we also saw that uh, website visits and web chats initiated reached historic levels so on the day of Project 84 going live Calm received just under 30,000 incremental web visits to what they would normally so we've got men talking about suicide to calm and getting the help that they needed and what we found as a result and what i think the thing that we are all most proud of as a result of project 84 is that that led demonstrably to more lives being saved by calm and more suicides being prevented So the thing that is fascinating about CALM's suicide helpline prevention is you can measure incredibly accurately the number of suicides that they have directly presented, uh, they have directly prevented. And the way in which we can do that is by um, identifying a contact who initiates a call and who tells the helpline that they are on the brink of committing suicide. The CALM Helpline then stages an intervention. So they will alert a friend or the emergency services and they will stay on the line with the person until they are 100% sure that someone has, is with them and is helping them. And then the CALM Helpline recontacts that person 24 hours later to double check that they are still alive. Um, And so it allows you to measure with pinpoint accuracy the number of suicides prevented. Uh, And what we saw was that thanks to Project 84, Calm was able to save more lives, um, both in the immediate weeks and months after Project 84 and also in the 40 weeks post-Project 84 than ever before. Um, So Just to give you a a concrete picture of that, in 2016, CALM prevented just over 400 suicides. It's the same in 2017. In 2018, the organisation was able to prevent 625 suicides, um, 239 of which are directly attributable to Project 84
0: man that has got to feel good that
1: yeah <laughs> when
0: when we're in the when we're in the sort of uh, commercial world of selling products yeah. or services when when there's tangible evidence of of what the result of your creative efforts and strategic efforts have been man
1: yeah, yeah. it's i mean it, i think needless to say kind of everyone who has worked on it you know both from the agency side everyone at ITV everyone at Calm as well is incredibly proud of of the difference that it's made um but you know at at the same time i don't i don't want this podcast to kind of come across as if we think we've done the job you know kind of men are still taking their lives in the united kingdom actually kind of shockingly because of you know kind of things like um the recession but also the likelihood of significant economic downturn as a result of coronavirus it's anticipated that suicide rates are going to increase um, yeah. quite significantly so you know kind of we are incredibly proud of what project 84 achieved but we're also incredibly keen and hungry to come back and and to do something that is just as good if not better
0: what happened with the statues once they were taken down did, did they are are they still somewhere <laughs> are they still active in the cause <laughs>
1: do you know they're, they're not active in the cause and they haven't been but we do actually have i think we've got most of them i think they're sadly they're in a they're in a bit of a, a lockup somewhere and obviously because of covid 19 and whatever else no one can actually get access to them um but we do have them so you never know. They might, they may yet make an appearance sometime soon in a different form or in a different location.
0: Will Grundy, planning director, Adam and Eve, DDB in London. Congratulations to everybody for what was uh, Thank one you. of the most impactful and just jarring and haunting images uh, that was used for good effect
1: uh, with projects. Thank you. Before. Thank you so much, folks. Can I just add one last thing? Yes, um, sure, please. <laughs> it, it's just that... Um, I just just want to say, if and this is a bit weird, but if any of your listeners are affected by the podcast and the content of it, um, Calm's number is for in the UK at least is 080-585858. and it's open from five till midnight. So if anyone does feel affected and does need to talk, Calm are there and are always happy to help.
0: Great point. Thanks for thanks for bringing that up. Thanks for coming on uh, this episode, Will. Great having you on. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care. And we'll see everybody on the next episode.